Um, but yeah, we are in Acts 1 this morning, where we are continuing to look at Jesus' instructions. In fact, we are going to see Jesus' final instructions this morning. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, PTL. PTL in our family stands for praise the Lord. So if you ever hear me say that. Oh, what's the opposite of that? <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to say that on record. Uh, yes, that's right. There we go. Um, all right, so we are in Acts 1. Last week, Eric kicked us off and did a phenomenal job reminding us that all, Luke, who is our author, he wrote the Gospel Luke to explain all that Jesus had done and said. And Acts is going to be all about now the work that God is going to do through his Holy Spirit, through his church. Um, and, and so we are finishing kind of off almost like part two of the intro. And as many of you probably are aware, Acts 1.8 is going to serve basically as a thesis, a roadmap for the rest of the book of Acts. <clears throat> and so we're going to look at this section of scripture together this morning. Last week, Eric finished with reminding us that Jesus had been teaching the disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God post-resurrection, and he leaves us off with their call to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father has come. That's the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how many of you guys have ever uh, been teased with like uh, something exciting that's about to happen, but also like wait, uh, but it creates odd things in you. Kids, I don't know if you're in here, if your parents have ever like sort of like teased you with an idea of, hey, guess what? Pretty soon you're going to be able to do this thing. Uh, pretty soon we're going to go to maybe Disneyland, or pretty soon we're going to get to celebrate Christmas, or pretty soon it's going to be your birthday. And as a kid, I think one of the first things that you would do would, would be perhaps ask for some clarification, like how far is pretty soon? Like <laughs> when? Can you give me more information, please? I want to know. I'm not satisfied within a little bit. But we are going to be kind of placed in, if we are to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, we're going to be placed in a, in, a, in a spot that's like that, kind of like a something's coming soon, but there's not like a whole lot of clarification as to when. And, and for me, it, it creates this little bit of anxiety in me, if I'm to be honest. And, but I, I like stepping into these spaces together. But just like our kids would perhaps, if you said, hey, wait, hold tight, something really exciting is about to happen, just as they would ask a follow-up question, so do the disciples. And that gets us started in our text this morning. And we're just going to actually go verse by verse this morning because we're only tackling five verses. <clears throat> so as, right after Jesus tells them to wait they came together in verse 6, and when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Here, Jesus' disciples, they've been with him for 40 days. He's been teaching them about the kingdom of God, and then they come forward and they ask this question. And people go back and forth with this question. Some people like, are like, man, disciples, you're still not getting it. Other people maybe are more sympathetic towards them because 
they maybe understand what the disciples are asking. Ultimately, these disciples, they've been very steeped in a very mixed background, not mixed background, but a background that talks so much of the Israel identity, the Jewish identity, and the promise that will come when the Messiah comes. And they so have linked that with a a kind of a geopolitical reign that they cannot separate the two. And so really what they're asking Jesus, since he was the one that rose from the grave, he's now standing in front of them, the risen king, like we talked about last week. He tells them to wait. It makes sense that they might think, all right, so now's the time, right? Now's the time for Israel to get back on top. Now's the time for us, the Israelites, the Jews, to reign over everybody else. Now's the time. Now's the time for us to be brought out from under the rule of Rome, to bring us out of exile, to make us a theocratic state again. And Jesus, our good rabbi, said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's a couple fascinating things for us to grab a hold of here. First, most of the time when Jesus is asked a question in his life and ministry, how does he often respond? With a question. This should this should. As, as those who are studying as apprentices of Jesus, this actually should pique our interest a, just a little bit more. His answer's a little different than he has historically done throughout most of his time with his disciples. He's not responding with a question. He's actually going to give them a clear answer. <laughs> Additionally, he doesn't rebuke them either, which should also cause us to have grace for these disciples. If we're like, man, you guys are so far off on what you're asking. But Jesus is going to reshape their thinking. As his apprentices, as his disciples, they still do have some things to learn, which is important. They spent three years with this guy. There's more information. There's more to know. They still have room to grow. But Jesus, in his original response in verse 7, he's saying, brothers or friends or students, don't worry about this time. Don't worry about when the kingdom is going to be restored or be here in full. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time here but I actually think this is still really important for us. I'm not that old, and I have heard some rumor from some Christian over, I think, at least almost every single president that has been in power since I've been alive warning that he might be the Antichrist. I've experienced Y2K and the phenomena that the whole world is going to end. I've experienced the, the, the weird, like, like, red moon theory thing, and, like, It's like, oh, the world is coming to an end. It's closing. And I just want us, as apprentices of Jesus, would we heed the words of Jesus? He says, I don't want you to worry about it. It's not your business. And he's saying this to the ones who just watched him rise victoriously from death. 
who appeared to them and, and said, put your hands in my wounds. See, I am Jesus. I am the risen one. You do not need to worry yourself about those things. In other portions of scripture, Jesus himself says, look, only the Father knows the appointed time. It is not your concern. We can get so caught up. And Jesus would be a really bad rabbi if he just said, don't worry about this, and just moved on. Good teachers, good rabbis, they don't just say, don't do this. They give you an alternative. Not just an alternative, they, they provide you with the opportunity to think rightly. This is where we get to the thesis of Acts in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If this is a verse that is new to you, I, I'm so glad that you're here and listening. If no matter where you're at, I would, I would strongly encourage all of us actually to memorize this verse. One, because it's going to be the thesis for Acts. Uh, we're going to see that the next block of chapters are going to be about the, the church being in Jerusalem, and then we're going to see Judea and Samaria, and then we're going to see to the ends of the earth. It really does serve kind of as a format. But beyond this, it still serves as a thesis for the church as a whole. And I love what Jesus does here, especially as these will be, these are his last words. Again, if you've got your own Bible, just underline these. These are the last words of Jesus. But Acts 1.8, along with Matthew 28.18 through 20, they are the center of every biblical church's mission or vision statements. Every church that exists as a church that looks to serve and to be obedient to Scripture, to serve Jesus and be obedient to Scripture, their mission and their vision are going to be connected to Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and Acts 1, 8. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 reminds us it's some of Jesus' last words as well. But they remind us, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. And then here in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Matthew 28, in some ways, is what we are to do. We are to make disciples that make disciples. Acts 1.8 also, of course, is included with that, but it expands it a bit. Not just what we are to do, but it includes to the where and especially the how. Sometimes I grew up in the church and sometimes I was, I found myself getting frustrated because, and it was, I don't think it was the intention of the church and maybe I just didn't even know how to ask good questions at the time. 
Because I felt like, by and large, the church has a tendency to tell people what to do. But are not very good at instructing them how to do it. And so for somebody like me, that would lay a big burden on my shoulders. Say, you're supposed to do all of these things. And good luck figuring out how to make that happen. This is what's expected of you. Yeah, but how do I do that? And I grew up in circles that often would never address the how. And it's not that they wouldn't. I don't know that I could hear. I don't want to point fingers at the church that I've come from. But we were way more interested in the what and not very interested in the how. And what it often resulted in was a very anemic people who knew the right answers in their brain, but when it came to how they lived out their life or what was going on in their bones, they were weak. There wasn't a translation from headspace to heartspace to outspace. And I love that Jesus begins to show us a how. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus in his ministry in John 14 and John 16 in particular talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would come and it would reveal truth, that he would remind the disciples of all the teaching In John 16, he tells them, it's better that I go. In fact, I've got to go in order that I might send the promise from the Father that the Holy Spirit might dwell in you. And here in Acts 1.8, Jesus gets explicit with them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. All in the context of waiting. You're saying, Kevin, really? People who have borne witness to Jesus' resurrection, people who have spent three years with Jesus, who have learned from Jesus' own mouth what the kingdom of God is all about, they have to wait in order to tell other people? And the answer is yes. Jesus didn't carry out his mission without the Spirit, and neither can we. Jesus, before his earthly ministry began, was baptized in the Holy Spirit, descended upon him, and as he came out of the water, a loud voice from heaven declared, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But here in Jesus' last words, he says, you will receive power. The Greek word is dunamin, which means power, ability, or miracle. And can you imagine for a moment if you might be one of those disciples who were sitting there and they, you heard Jesus say this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I legitimately get butterflies when I think about it and when I say it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I mean, like, what do you guys think the disciples might have been thinking? What do you mean I'll receive power? Power for what? To fight? To conquer? To walk on water, multiply fish and loaves, raise people from the dead, cast out demons? What power? What is is this power going to be? And again, I'm grateful that we have a good rabbi, a good teacher, a good savior who continues to give us instruction because 
if you just told me that Jesus said, hey, you're just going to receive power, I'm like, all right, who's going to get it? You know, or show me the nearest puddle. Or, you know, like, I want to walk on some water. I want to multiply some fishes. I want to destroy Rome. I'm going to do all of these things. Those would be what's running through my mind. But Jesus has this way of kind of like (laughs) both getting us really excited and maybe bringing us down a little bit. And we'll be clear, miracles are all throughout the book of Acts, and we're going to get into that. And the Holy Spirit does do miracles. But what does Jesus tell his disciples? You are going to be filled with power. Paul talks about being clothed with power from on high through the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? To be my witness. It's interesting. That doesn't sound like the conquering type language that perhaps the disciples were expecting when they asked Jesus if he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Yeah, you're going to fill us with power. We're going to take over Rome, baby. No, 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 no. I'm going to fill you with power so that you can be my witness. Miracles are going to be a huge part of the church's story. But it is fascinating that Jesus doesn't lead his disciples in this moment by talking about all the miracles that they will do. I just want to make it clear, I am charismatic, I am pro all the things of the Spirit. I just want us to see Jesus' instruction as our great teacher, what the purpose of us being filled with power is. So that we would bear witness, that the disciples would bear witness. The witness is someone that has seen something take place and is there to tell of all that they saw, heard, and experienced. Likewise, as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, we are called to be witnesses for Christ who present a testimony about the truth that we have experienced and heard. We are called, all followers of Jesus, not a unique sum, are called to be witnesses. Witnesses who declare the truth of who Jesus is and what we've learned in his word. And so witnesses of what we've heard and we are to be witnesses of what we've experienced. We're to be testifiers of how God has impacted our life as well. But it starts first and foremost with testifying to who Jesus is. Chiefly, his life, death, resurrection. But just as in a courtroom when somebody's giving a testimony, their words matter, what also matters to a good witness Their, their credibility, or in other words, their character. 
Just as in court, the character of the witness matters. First Peter three fifteen through 7 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. As we go throughout Acts, we're going to see the Holy Spirit move and change people, not just in what they say, but actually how they live their lives. Being a witness isn't just about saying the right thing. It's about becoming the right people who reflect the image and glory of God. And we'll talk about this a lot throughout our time in Acts. But here in the thesis of Acts, we're seeing in the last words of Jesus that his disciples are called to wait until they receive power from the Holy Spirit so that they can be witnesses. And one of the reasons they need to wait to receive power so that they can be witnesses because the scope of this mission is massive. You're going to give us your Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses, and so where are we to be witnesses? And we have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like I said before, this serves as a road map for Acts, as chapters 1 through 7 is about being witness to Jerusalem, chapters 8 through 11 are witnesses in uh, Judea and Samaria, and then chapters 12 through 28 are witnesses to the ends of the earth. Wait till you receive power from on high, and you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. In this first one, I think most of the disciples would be like, cool, I'm up for this. I'm, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's what's familiar with you. This, this would be uh, something that would kind of be, this would be the same place in the same culture, something that they would be like, yes, I've always desired to proclaim the reality of the Messiah to those who are just like me, but maybe they don't understand Jesus yet. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem, but into Judea. And that makes sense too. Good Jews pretty much lived in two areas, Jerusalem or Judea. This is a different place, but it's the same culture. Okay, maybe in their own power, maybe, maybe, maybe they could proclaim Jesus in Jerusalem. Maybe they could do it in Judea because they kind of like those people. But next to the Samaritans, those they treated like half-breeds. People they hate. Maybe barely consider them better than Gentiles. Maybe barely human. This would be a new place or a new culture, a new place and a new culture, and to a people that they don't like. And you're saying, yes, you are sent to them too. And then to the ends of the earth, like Rome, Spain, further east, people who believe in pagan gods. This is Jesus' way of not limiting the scope of where this will go, but this is what they had an understanding of. The Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that was like a proximity thing for them. That was like, this is what they knew, and then to the ends of the earth was kind of like, and everything else. The scope of this mission is incredible, and there's no way they could do this in their own power or in their own lifetime. If this mission is going to be accomplished, it's going to be 
Because King Jesus has asked his disciples to do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. They are to go and testify that Jesus is alive. That he rose from the grave. That he truly is the promised Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Being a witness is to become an identity marker. It is an identity marker for all who belong to Jesus. We're going to see through our acts. The people of God begin to scatter at different points. We're going to see throughout Acts, conflict. We're going to see people being beaten up. We're going to see people rejoicing. We're going to see people weeping and rejoicing. We're going to see people uh, on their way do this. I, I, Philip the Evangelist is one of my favorites, and I think it helps paint the picture because ultimately Jesus isn't like, he's, he is kind of giving a roadmap, but it's not like, it's more of a, a picture of God's heart than it is specifically this location, this location, this location, this location. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's expressing a heart and combating a theology that started with the first question, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is actually flipping this. He's like, you still kind of think that this is all about you. The reality is this is all about me, King Jesus, who from the beginning in Genesis 12, I have made you not to be the place where all of the nations go. I have made you to go to the nations so that all the world might be blessed. And so you haven't listened so well, and you keep wanting people to come back to Jerusalem. But the reality is I have torn the veil, and the presence of God is now made available through the finished work of Jesus. And so now I am sending you out as one to carry the Holy Spirit with you, who herald the good news, and you are go to the very ends of the age because we are the carriers of the kingdom. One of the things that even though we will see in 300 years, 200 years from this moment, we are actually going to see Christianity make a huge dent in fact, we'll see later in Acts that, what does it say, that, they're, that they basically view Christians, those who follow the way, as ones who are turning the world upside down. But it also has this slow picture of growth. Jesus uses the parable of the mustard seed with this. And, and how it starts small, but it expands gradually more and more and more and more and more and more. Great theologian John Stott says this about this verse. He says, so this was the substance of the Lord's teaching as we know it. During the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, when Jesus, excuse me, when the Spirit came in power, the long-promised reign of God, which Jesus had himself inaugurated and proclaimed, would begin to spread. It would be spiritual in its character, transforming the lives and values of its citizens, international in its membership, including Gentiles as well as Jews, and gradual in its expansion, beginning at once in Jerusalem and then growing until it reaches the end of both time and earthly space. So Jesus teaches them, you'll be my witnesses. 
And then 9 through 11, he said these things, and as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. After Jesus gives them the roadmap for what's next, wait for power from the Holy Spirit. Be my witnesses starting here and don't stop until the entire world knows and experiences the effects of my kingdom. Then he ascends into heaven. He's taken up in a cloud throughout history. This, this cloud is, resembles God's presence, the, the, the means in which heaven is touching earth. If, if you are a realm or a multidimensional person, John, uh, this is the idea that this is the, the portal, if you will. I know it's weird language. But this cloud was on Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. This pillar of cloud was what led the disciples, or not the disciples, it led uh, the people uh, out in the wilderness and through the wilderness during the Exodus. It's this cloud that was present on the mount during uh, the Transfiguration. Cloud symbolizes the presence and of God Himself and, and the kind of the touching down of heaven and earth. It's not like a elevator, like a magic cloud elevator, Jesus touches or something like that. But the significance of this is that Jesus is a continuation of the promises of old. This isn't a new story. This is part of God's plan from the beginning. This is not a new God or a different God. This is the God that has been promised. To the other piece that's significant about this is that Jesus died and rose again and he never died again. Even for those like Lazarus who was brought back to life, he died again. Jesus ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And this is a crucial piece, like I mentioned before, because of John 16, when Jesus says he must go so that the Spirit might come, that the Helper would come. Then we have these two guys in white show up, most likely angels. However, part of their greeting isn't like it normally is when angels appear. What's one of the normal first things that angels say to people when they appear? That's not here, huh? I wonder why, like, well, like, Jesus just, like, I don't know if anything else can shock me. Like, like, seriously, I mean, the risen Christ just ascended. He told me to wait for power, like, hey, what's up? But what's cool is these guys, again, coming back to the question, it's kind of like, guys, stop looking up to the heavens. Don't waste your time looking up there. And this isn't about not focusing in on, that's not what we're talking about. It's the idea of, you've got work to do, friends. Don't waste your time staring up and talking about when Jesus might come back and this thing or that thing, especially about the end times. Remember, that's the question that's on the disciples' head as this conversation started. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What's the message? Jesus is gone. He promised the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit's coming. 
That's what I want you to focus on. I want you to wait on. And no, just as sure as you saw him go, you will see him come back. He will return. They've been given a task that is incredibly audacious and impossible on their own. But the Spirit is coming. See, in the next verse, which we'll get into next week, that they listened and they went to Jerusalem and they began to pray and wait. Friends, for us this morning, there is a piece to this that is a unique message to the 12 or the 11 that were there. But remember, Acts 1.8, it's, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. The ends of the earth are not reached yet. This means that this call, this mission is still on the church. It's not a mission that's done. I want us to see that we are sitting in this room today because our spiritual mothers, fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, great-grandmothers, they took Acts 1-8 seriously. They gave testimony of the reality of Jesus and they passed it on to another generation. And generations were altered forever. We legitimately are here because of the ends of the earth. I don't know if we forget about this, but like in the first century, people had no idea what was going on in the Americas. Like they thought Spain was the ends of the earth. What do you think they would have thought of the Americas? Like ends, ends, ends of the earth? Like really far. And now we're sitting here worshiping Jesus because people have been faithful to respond to this call that went beyond just the apostles. That for everyone who follows Jesus, that this is part of our identity to be a people who bear witness with the way we live our life and what we say. But just like the apostles, just like the disciples, we too need the Holy Spirit. And friends, I think we've, so many of us have forgotten. That the same spirit who rose Christ from the dead dwells in you and I. For all who call upon the name of the Lord, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And you've been given power, dunamin, from on high. And do we believe it? Or do we forget about it? Do we come numb? One of my prayers for us as a church as we go through Acts is that our hearts would be enlivened once again through the Spirit, that we would be reminded that power is something that we have through the Spirit. And I just want you to know, friends, that as you are his witnesses, you will see his power more. Because he's primarily given the Holy Spirit to us to exalt Jesus and to help empower us to be witnesses. In Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And friends, I just, I think the Lord wants to wake us up. 
I know we're a little short on time. I just feel like I have to tell you a couple stories, just really quick. And it's not to toot my own horn, but I just, by God's grace, I've gotten the chance to be a witness more times than I would have ever thought. It started when I was in middle school. Middle schoolers, you're here. I had a friend who said a bad word at the start of a middle school class. And he said, you're going to go to hell for saying that word. And I, I don't know why I did it, but it, it seriously, it was like the Holy Spirit put words in my mouth. I didn't even ask for it at the moment. And I just looked at him and I said, look, man, you're going to go to hell for a lot more than just swearing. And like, I don't know why I said it. I'm not a conflict person. And then moment after moment, this kid started, kept asking me questions. I was in Mrs. Kumar's class at Sequoia. I was terrified I was going to get in trouble by my teacher. And he kept asking, hey, what do you mean? And I, like, for some, I just kept testifying to what scripture had to say. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? And we just kept having this conversation. And I was like, well, stop talking to me. I'm going to get in trouble. And then later that night, I don't know this, but he tells me the next day, he just said, Kevin, I want you to know that last night I got down on my knees next to my bed and I asked Jesus to come to my life. I was like, what? That's crazy. That's the power of God at work. My parents didn't want me to go to this trip when I was, it's because I was 16 and I looked like a baby. I hadn't hit puberty yet. I had like this bald head and I'm like, mom, dad, I think I'm supposed to go to Russia. They're like, I don't think so. And I kept bugging, I wore them down, wore them down, wore them down. They finally let me go to Russia. And I went with our church and I went there because I wanted to be a witness. I wanted to share who God was. I truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I wanted people to know. And so I went out there to Russia and was starting to talk to all these babushkas with an interpreter, of course. And I had all of the right answers. Seriously, I knew my Bible. I was going through it. I gave them the answers that they wanted. And it was not working. It was just yet, 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 yet. And then the Lord, by the power of his spirit and the sweetness of his spirit, all of a sudden this old song that drives me crazy come, came into my brain, again, through the spirit, and it was humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know that? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he. That one? Um, and I just realized, oh my gosh, I've been trying to save all of these people. I've been trying to do it on my own power, on my own strength. And I finally just surrendered. I said, Jesus, would you go before me? Holy Spirit, you do the saving. The next nine babushkas I talked to gave their life to Jesus. It's not about what I did. It's about seeing the power of God at work. And it's not just out there, here, paying attention. You guys, we've, I've gotten to see God move powerfully Casting out demons is that for today? Yes, I've seen it. I've done it through the power of the Spirit, not because of anything good that I've done, but because I'm willing to be a witness and I'm asking God to use me for his glory. But even that, guys, I've seen it. I've tasted it. And guess what? I still suck at it sometimes. I'm still slow. I still have doubt. I still have a hard time. But friends, I want us to be alive because Jesus is alive. Friends, I want us to be reminded that God is not dead, that Jesus still saves today, that God doesn't want to wait till you're 70 to use you, that right now, right here in the mess that you are, we can begin to turn to Jesus and be empowered by his spirit to be his witnesses. 
we live in Camarillo or Newbury Park or, or Ventura or Oxnard, what does it look like to be a witness here and now? And friends, I hope that as we journey through Acts that we would grow dependent upon the Spirit and say, Lord, please, for your glory, would you give me power to be a witness? And friends, I found that if the Lord has told you to do something and told you that he's going to provide the means, we ask him to do that. We normally are not disappointed. You guys, we serve a living God. Eric's message last week, Jesus is risen and he's king. The risen king says to you, but you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But not on your own strength. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. Would we, sons and daughters, worship team, come up. We're going to sing a couple songs in response. <clears throat> be a people who respond to Jesus' last words. We have communion.